free to see God for the first time. It's a tremendous deception to believe that there is no God, that you don't have a Father in heaven. And so my goal today is to release those who've been bound by unbelief and free them to believe in God fully. You know, sometimes people are just flat out atheists and they don't believe in God at all. Sometimes people are just not sure about different parts of God. And so we need to be free to believe in the Lord completely. And this is my story. My story is very relevant to this particular topic because I went from basically from an atheist to a Pentecostal pastor. I'm a young earth creationist. You know, I believe literally that the Bible is true. I mean, like I believe all kinds of things that in a previous life I thought were just ridiculously stupid. How did that happen? There's processes, you know, there was the first piece of coming to realize that that God was real, and that was just through the miraculous hand of God. But then there was the second process of trying to figure it out. How is this even possible? That's how I found out I wasn't an agnostic, was because after I became a believer, I realized I couldn't picture any possible way it could be real. You know, if there's no room in my understanding for God to possibly exist, then I wasn't an agnostic. It was just the more popular thing to say. So I didn't know how to manage that. And seriously, I'm a young earth creationist. You know what that means? That means that you think the earth is like 6,000 years old. Like that's bizarre, almost flat earth sort of stuff, you know. But I have my reasons for believing that. And I honestly think it's true. And so how did that happen? Again, the short answer, God changed me. The long answer is lots and lots and lots of searching and seeking and wrestling. Lots and lots and lots of it. Years of wrangling. Years of reading the scriptures and and just saying, how does that work? Like, what? I read the scriptures after becoming a Christian. I, I was in, you know, about Matthew chapter 10 or so when I got saved. I started at the beginning of the book of Matthew. I had all this stuff to read and I was trying to figure it out as I went. And it was just very, very difficult because my mentality was so different than the mentality of faith that it was just difficult for me to catch on. And so how do you get free from that? Well, let me just... Work through this. I'm going to try to talk as fast as possible because I have several years of wrestling that I would like to mention. Uh, And I don't want to miss it because there are lots of people that are in church that still have an intellectual issue with God. That they still have some angst with their faith. And they're not sure if they really should fully let go or there's that gnawing in the background. Maybe this is just all baloney. And, you know, we want to be free from that. We want to walk in the freeness of faith and walk with God. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So I've got a few points to make, a few different things to look at. But my first point is this. God loves the lost. And if you're with Jesus, you love them too. God loves the lost. It's not the church versus the world. God loves the lost. We, as followers of Christ, love the lost too. 
There's a pastor of a great big church down in Texas, and he stopped using unbeliever. He stopped using the word lost. The word he uses instead is sought. They're the sought. They're the ones that are sought after by God. They're the ones that God is trying to reach. God is trying to reveal himself to. They're the sought. Because there is a war going on between heaven and hell. What is that war over? What are we fighting for? The souls of men and women on this planet. That's what we're fighting for. So the lost aren't our enemy. They're the prize. They're who God loves. John 3.16 and 17 apply to the atheists. Let's read this. For God so loved the world... God so loved the atheists, the unbelievers, those who are following false religions. God so loved all of them that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him because God loves the lost. Jesus loves the lost. I know that because I was in that group and God loved me. The unfortunate thing is the next verse also applies to the atheist and to the lost. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Unbelief is a dangerous, dangerous thing and we must rescue people from it. We must present the truths of God effectively. We must reach out because, you know, as believers, we can mess up a lot and God dusts us off. But when we stand in unbelief, his hand doesn't reach us. And that's a terrible place to be. So we must reach the lost, the sought. God loves the lost and so do I. In fact, this particular thing is hard for me to talk about because these are my people. This is where I came from. And when I, I mentioned earlier that I got saved in, during the book of Matthew, and as I got into some of the other books, like the book of Acts, and I saw what Paul had gone through, and I was like, wow, look at that. You know, God does these sorts of things. And then I got to Romans chapter 9, and I knew I had something else in common with Paul as well. Let's read Romans 9, 1 through 3. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. The Apostle Paul was a troubled man. He was in anguish and great sorrow. How can that be? He's an apostle. He's walking in the center of his calling before God. He's answered the call. He's doing everything in obedience to Christ. How can someone in that time of their life be in such anguish and sorrow? Next verse. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, for my people. Paul is seeing all the Gentiles getting saved. He's seeing amazing revival happen. And meanwhile, the guys he went to school with are blaspheming the Lord. And meanwhile, his old friends are rejecting Christ. And his heart is breaking. These are the chosen people. For him, it's the Jews. I mean, it's the people of God that are rejecting Jesus. And Paul's heart is broken. I imagine you have people that your heart breaks over too. 
God loves the lost, and we're called to go get them. That's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them. This is after the resurrection. He's appearing to the disciples. Now, last words are very important to pay attention to. But how about words after somebody rises from the dead? Those are very, very important to pay attention to. So Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't you think they would have believed that now that he's risen from the dead? Like, yeah, I guess so. I guess all authority has been given to you. So what does he say? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go to the whole world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God loves the lost. How do people who don't believe come to faith? How does that work? We're going to look at a few different ways. We're going to look at four, but all four of these are significant. How do people come to faith? Well, some people can look at what God created and see God in his handiwork. That's Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. How did he do that? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So when we see creation, we see the universe, we see the intricacies and complexities of what exists, we should say, wow, how did this get here? How did this happen? I remember as a little kid coming home from school, And I think at school we talked about the world population or something like that. I don't remember how old I was. Elementary school, somewhere in there. And uh, I just remember thinking, there's billions of people on this planet. And there have been billions before. And I wasn't any of those people and I'm not any of those other billions. But I'm one of the people. I get to be one of them. I don't know how I got here. But this is awesome. And at that point, I just thought, well, maybe if I live 70 years, that's great. You know, then I'll feed the worms. But this is awesome. Isn't it great to just be alive? I was just shocked. Because, I mean, how did specifically me, not just people, I'm conscious. Specifically you, how did you come into existence? Isn't it amazing to get to be one of the people? Because there's billions of others and you're not any of them. You didn't need to be. I didn't need to exist. But here I am. Hallelujah. I don't know how that happened, except it was just God. So we can look out at creation and see God. Now, I have a confession to make. Honestly, when I was an unbeliever, I didn't see it. I looked out at the world. I saw evolution. I looked out at the world. I saw atheism and and science. It was clear and obvious. I didn't think there was any other options. Isn't that amazing? It's really interesting for me now to look out at the world and say, wow, God is awesome. If this earth is cursed, what is heaven going to be like? Because this earth is beautiful with all the brokenness. Boy, there's some beauty here. What's an uncursed, holy eternity going to be like? Oh, man. But back then I didn't see it. Now it seems so obvious. Back then the others seemed so obvious. But you know what? It's okay to look out at creation and praise God 
And even if you've never believed in God, to look out at the universe and think something big had to happen. There must be a God. It's okay to believe for that reason. Another reason that people come to faith is the Father draws them in. In the Gospel of John chapter 6, Jesus is having a bit of a tense conversation with people. And in the middle of that, he says this, John 6, 43 and 44, Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Father will draw us in. Now, if you're someone who has felt that drawing in, embrace it and go. If you've not felt that, open your heart to God. He will draw you in. Open up your heart. A third way that people can come to faith is that God's people preach the word and it brings other people to faith. It's Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here the Apostle Paul is saying, look, they're not going to believe unless we tell them. And we can't tell them unless we go. And I can't go unless you send me. So put some money in the plate. You know, that's what, boy, he's raising money for his missionary journeys. Like, come on, let's get this done. We got to get the word out there. But the truth of the matter is, is that God's people who know the truth can speak it out. And this is any form of evangelism. This can be one-on-one, just talking to people, can be small groups. It can be on the radio, TV, big tent, revival, church. Doesn't matter. This is any time where God's people just spread the word and they speak it. Some people will believe. Some will hear. For me, it was a little bit of the third one and a lot of the second one. (laughs) A little bit of people telling me about God and a whole lot of God drawing me in. That's what happened for me. Yet, even with these three things, with creation that God reveals himself through with God drawing people in. Still, some people push that away. They don't even hear it anymore. And with God's people preaching the word, still many are unable to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, and 23 talks about two different groups of people. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Some people need to see the miraculous hand of God. I need a sign. Show me a sign. Some people need to understand. They don't need a sign from God. They need to know how it works. So the Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So the Jews are looking for a great miracle and the Messiah gets killed Instead of ruling and reigning and kicking out the Romans and bringing Israel back to world prominence, the Christ is crucified. doesn't make sense. That's no sign. That's a tragedy. And Christ crucified, God came to earth and was killed by people? What? That's foolishness to a lot of people who are looking for wisdom. So what do we do? Because sometimes the miracle doesn't happen. Sometimes people don't understand, but what we've always got is the gospel of a crucified Christ. What we always have is the demonstration of the love of God for a lost world. A crucified Christ. Not a God lording it over, but a God who loved the world 
and came and sacrificed and died that we could be free. My issue those years back was one that was common and I believe is getting more common. And that is just no intellectual room for faith in God. I wasn't in rebellion against God. I didn't hate God. I just thought, well, that's just simply not true. I'm not angry about that. I just don't think it's real. And I think there are a lot of people who have an intellectual angst. They're not quite sure how to put faith and reason together. And I was one of those people, and I don't suggest this, but I decided that I would study philosophy in the state university system. Got two degrees in philosophy to try to figure out What do we know and what don't we know? What can we find out? What can't we find out? How can we trust what we believe? How do we do that? Through all those years, I can tell you that faith in God is perfectly rational. It's perfectly reasonable. Now, here's my offensive statement. Atheism is also perfectly rational and reasonable. However, a wishy-washy half-belief in God is irrational. God doesn't kind of exist. God isn't sort of Lord. God is either God or he's not. So a wishy-washy half-faith is irrational. It's impossible. We either serve the God of the universe or we're fools. But there's no halfway. Don't live in a halfway. Don't live in a place that can't possibly be real. If you believe in God, believe that God is completely real, completely there, completely who he says he is, and grab hold of him. That wasn't too offensive. All right, so let's reason together for a little bit. One of the things I wanted to do was to be able to prove the existence of God through reasonable means. Because if I could do that, then I could force people to believe in God. Now, I found out that it's about faith. It's not about forcing people to believe things. So that all fell apart. But I did the best I could. And so let me give you four of my favorite Pastor Mike arguments for the existence of God. Here we go. First one, the argument from the existence of time. So time exists. Timeline goes forward, timeline goes backward. A year ago was a year ago, a year from now will be a year from now. Okay, so how long has time been going? The scientific thing is, well, you know, you got the number line, you got infinite that way, you've got infinite this way. It goes way back, it goes way forward, that's how that works. But here's the deal, can you count to infinity? No, only Chuck Norris, he did it twice from what I understand. But for normal people, you can't do that. And so here's the issue. If we're going to go infinitely backwards in time, we realize that past infinite time is a completed infinity and you can't have a completed infinity, so time must have started. If time had to start, it had to start from outside of time by something that could do that. (laughs) What's that? Well, I don't know, but sounds like God to me. Argument from time. Argument from free will. So, some of the people who don't believe in God, they want their elbow room, you know, their existential space, and they don't want to be confined by an all-knowing being, so they want to have free will, and so they don't like the idea of God. But the reality is, is that if you want to have free will, you should believe in God, because here's the deal. Without God, it's all matter in motion subject to natural law. If I were to drop this quarter, what would happen? It would fall. What percentage of the time? of the time. Should we test it? Oh, look at that. Why? Because it's a natural law. And if there is no God, there is no spirit world, then you are just matter in motion, just like that quarter. You make no decisions. It's all an illusion. Because everything is subject to natural law. However, 
If you have a spirit, if you have part of you that is not subject to natural law, then you can override your inclinations. You can say, boy, I really want to do this, but no, I'm not going to. I'm going to go a different direction. Like the quarter, you could stop and then start going up. That's a miracle. Free will is a miracle that requires a piece of us to not be part of this world, not be subject to natural law. I believe there is free will, and I believe that shows that we should believe in God, believe in a spiritual aspect of who we are. Otherwise, we're stuck in determinism. There's no free will, and I just think it's obvious that there is free will. Argument number three, the argument from human equality. I believe that every human being is created in the image of God and is equal. One may be smarter, one may be able to run faster, one may be stronger, but all equal. That makes sense from a theistic perspective. But from a Darwinian perspective, that's ridiculous. First, value doesn't make any sense in the first place. And second, some are more evolved than others. Some are farther along than others. And so human equality, which is a value we hold dear, makes sense from a theistic perspective but not from an atheistic perspective. Argument number four, which is just kind of fun, though I think it's also true, either God exists or he will. So, either God exists and our consciousness includes a spiritual aspect besides the brain and that sort of a thing, but includes a spiritual aspect, thus making true artificial intelligence, true consciousness of computers impossible, Or God does not exist and consciousness can be created by just matter in motion, which means that we will eventually create artificial intelligence that is conscious and it will be able to change itself and get better over time and not die and will eventually create in itself the ultimate being and make all of us obsolete and unnecessary. So either God exists and artificial intelligence is only going to be a mimicking of the beautiful God thing or... God will develop. Hmm, There's a good science fiction movie for you. I just want to hit a couple of the main things. Let's talk about the problem of evil and the problem of hell. Two important intellectual arguments. So here's the problem of evil. God is perfectly good, perfectly competent. He made this. Therefore, this should be perfect. If he's the perfect creator and he made this, this should be perfect. It's not. Therefore, he's not the perfect creator. This is a mess. We can see that God cannot possibly be real. That's the problem of evil. Here's the solution. This is not the finished product. All right? The cake is being mixed right now. We're in the mixing bowl. It is a disaster. The cake isn't finished yet. The cake is heaven. Amen? The finished product is heaven itself. That will fit the qualifications of perfect that a perfect creator will make. But this is the process to get there. This process is painful and difficult, but it's the only way that creative, free-willed, intelligent beings can live forever in the paradise of God with perspective on how things can go wrong if God's not in control. So, there's a problem of evil, the problem of hell. Here's the deal. The problem of evil is God's not doing enough to straighten this out. The problem of hell is God's doing too much to straighten this out. As I think that hell is horrible, I'm against it. If I could vote, I'd vote against it. Do I get a vote? No. (laughs) But I do get the opportunity to rescue people from it. So let's do that. But the, the argument against the problem of hell is, hey, you think God's doing too little? There's too much evil in the world? And then you see that the 
response to that evil is too harsh. Now you think he's too harsh. Well, which one is it? One more minute on faith and theoretical physics. Here's the deal. Today's physics is inconsistent with atheism, with base atheism, that there's, you know, four dimensions here, there, that way in time, and it's just this. This is reality, what we can observe. Normal theoretical physics for today just is inconsistent with that. We've got dark matter is a very important concept. So basically what they found out is there's not enough gravity in the universe to hold it together. Or there's not enough mass to account for the gravity in the universe to hold it together. So they created an idea called dark matter, which means that there's this matter that we can't see. And there's way more of that than there is the matter that we can see. But we can see its gravitational pull. So we know it's there, but we just can't perceive it. And so years ago when I thought, well, where would the spirit world even be? And now they're saying there's more matter out there than what we can even see. The spirit world is like four times bigger than the the universe that we see right now. We see the gravity of it. That's amazing. String theory, Nobel Prize winning physicists thinking we live in an 11-dimensional reality. Where do you think God is? Well, can angels be in the room with us? Can Jesus be here when we are praising Him where two or three are gathered? Can He be there as well? Absolutely, if it's an 11-dimensional reality, He can absolutely be here. We can't see Him because we're stuck in four. But oh man, inside of today's non-Christian theoretical physics, Nobel Prize winning stuff, there's plenty of room For all of the things that the scriptures talk about. Plenty of room inside of science for all of it. So I tell you, faith in God is not irrational. So, to the skeptic, I say this. You are loved by God, and I give you intellectual permission to surrender to Him. To love Him back. You can do that. It's not irrational. You aren't abandoning anything. You're grabbing onto the truth. I said I was going to talk about four ways that people can come to faith from the outside. I want to talk about the fourth way that people come to Christ. It's the best way. It's by far the most effective. And that is when the light of the world shines bright. Last week we talked about the church being the light of the world. The followers of God being the light of the world. And how this can go two different ways. If the church is the light of the world... It can either have this effect, I want what they have. Or it can go this way. What a bunch of fools and hypocrites. When the light of Christ is shining bright, then I want what they have, is what they will say. The light shines brightest when Christians walk out their faith in God together in unity, full of love, full of mercy, full of grace, living abundant life and victory. When God's people do that together, other people come to faith in Christ. Now, we've got all kinds of wonderful pieces of technology in this world. I don't know if you, maybe you're somebody that understands how all these things work, but I remember again being a kid and turning on a radio, turning on a TV and thinking, I don't know how this works. I just know that when I turn it on, it comes on. Now, if somebody were to argue with me, now, there ain't no such thing as radio waves. That sort of thing is just baloney. I mean, look, do you see any radio waves? And then I turn on the radio. I can say, yeah, but there's something coming out of the radio. If it's working, I don't have to understand it. I just know that it works. 
Now, if somebody were to argue with, oh, yeah, radio waves, all that stuff, and I say, well, show me. Well, I've got this radio, but it doesn't work. I can't, I can't get it to go. So you're telling me to believe in this thing that you're explaining to me, but then you can't show it work. Here's the deal. When the light of the world is shining bright, we don't have to understand because we see the hand of God. We see God things happen over and over and over again, and you just have to go, wow, that's God. I mean, we could have a theological debate about physical healing, about whether or not God heals today, but once you get healed, the debate doesn't matter. You saw it happen. And it's the same thing with the outside world and the body of Christ. If they see a broken church full of hypocrites and fools, they're going to say, well, that thing doesn't even work. But if it's working... If there's love and forgiveness and peace and joy and support and togetherness and sacrifice for one another, forgiving each other, preferring one another, if it's working, if we're doing the things that God is telling us to do, if Christian marriages are functioning the way Christian marriages are supposed to function, then the outside world will go, wow, whatever it is they're talking about, that's got to be real because they're doing stuff we don't know how to do. I want to read a little bit from 1 Corinthians 1 again. We read a few verses here. I just want to read the next one. Jews demand a miraculous sign and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here Paul is talking about Christ crucified. And he says, even though that's a stumbling block for us who believe is the power of God and the wisdom of God. If we walk in healing and forgiveness, in power and in wisdom, then we get abundant life and the lost see the power of God and come in. Why would we resist that? Why would we rebel against that? Why would we not want everything of God? We get abundant life and the lost get found. The lost see the power of God. Why would we not want to do that? God has a great plan. Let's thank the Lord Jesus for what he's done. Let's give thanks for God's healing power. Let's give thanks for forgiveness. But let's also grab hold of wisdom and power so we can live this life in the right way so that we can show an unbelieving world the power of God.